0: Well, after listening restlessly to an extremely long, tedious sermon, a six-year-old boy turned to his daddy and said, what does the preacher do the rest of the week? (laughs) And his dad says, well, he's a very busy man. Uh, He takes care of church business. He uh, visits the sick. He works on a sermon. He might uh, dash out and do a couple of baptisms. He counsels people. And then he has to have time to rest up because speaking in public is not an easy job. The boy thought for a moment and says, well, listening ain't easy either. (laughs) Now, some of you are probably going, yeah, it ain't easy to listen to some sermons. In fact, some of you might say, well, most of them, especially when it's something that we really don't want to hear. And, but let me tell you up front. And I told you this last week. When we started Malachi. I'm going to sift this stuff through my life first before I bring it to you. I almost wish I never said that. Because this has been a hard deal. I'm teaching Malachi in two different places right now. Tuesdays at First Baptist and Wednesdays at Praise and Worship. I'm immersed in this book, and it's been a struggle for me in a variety of different ways. And I'm just going to say it's, it's difficult because sometimes we have to hear some things that we don't really want to hear. And so I'm going to tell you to relax just a little bit this morning because this passage in, that Lair read to us is directed more toward paid pastors than it is to you. You can listen in to what God has been telling me. Uh, whatever spills over, because uh, I think these verses are going to mess with all of us. Now, I told you, we're going to spend two weeks on this text. I put on Facebook not long ago, has your pastor ever preached on the same text two weeks in a row because he forgot what he preached on the week before? And some people wrote back and said, uh, yes, <laughs> it's happened. I don't know that I've ever done that before. But next week, we're going to focus on... Uh, The curse of careless worship. So that's next week. You can push that off into the future. Careless worship. And and ponder what the priests were doing here that so offended this majestic God and what we can do today to avoid that same kind of curse. But today, I, I want to focus on what I think is the main point of this text. And I'd state it like this. Those who know God as Father should honor their majestic Father, I'm going to say that again because I think sometimes we kind of partly do that. I'm going to confess it happens to me. Those who know God as father. OK, I know that I believe in God, the father almighty. OK, all that kind of stuff should honor their majestic father. That really elevates what we're talking about here. And this, I believe, is really kind of the burden of the text. Uh, the attitude and the actions of these paid pastors, these priests in Malachi's day, uh, were a dishonor to what God was asking them to do. Uh, verse 6 again A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? He says. Where am I being honored? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? Now again, he's. He's really hammering at the paid ministry here. And indirectly, he's talking about all of us. So today, God kind of, I think, it aims to brand this truth, as he's been branding it on me all week, uh, into our minds so that it stays with us and kind of marks us, if you will, um, from the rest of the world. Because I think people who genuinely know God as Father should be honoring him as their majestic father. Verse six, if I'm a father, where's my honor? says the Lord of hosts. So when God reveals himself to your father, I'm not sure you know what you think that means when we say our father. We're going to say that prayer a little bit later. Our father. What does that really mean? You know, when he calls us. You know, it, it says a little bit about how he adopted us into the family. You know, like the two uh, the father and the son who were really adopted into God's family yesterday through baptism. Um, what does he intend us to feel once that takes place? I got to tell you, both of the, the men yesterday after baptizing both had big smiles on their face. They, they were happy. I looked around the room and I saw, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I look back at the wife. She was grinning from ear to ear. And I could look behind the sun, and I could see the other daughter and she was just as happy as a clam at high tide. There was joy in this. See, when God reveals himself to us as our father, when he calls us and then he adopts us into his family, and however that came, whether you walk the aisle, like many guys do down in prison, or whether it came as a little baby through baptism or when you, when you just started coming a little bit later in life, Uh, He gives us this spirit of adoption. He's taken us into his family. Now, what does he intend for us to feel? Now that you're in God's family, how should you be feeling? See, what kind of response to his fatherhood does he want us to have? And and I'm going to give you two different kinds of responses. I think they're probably on the screen. response number one, he means for us to have a childlike reverence. Uh, for his strength and wisdom and authority and for simply being the source from which we came and on which we depend minute by minute. Now, those of you who had children, you would say probably the same thing. You would hope your kids would acknowledge that as well, that they have a childlike reverence for you. Daddy, we use that, that diminutive form. Uh, Daddy's the strongest guy in the world. <laughs> Daddy knows everything. Uh, and, he, and he, Because Daddy works, that's why we have food on the table. You know. But here we should revere him and honor him way beyond the way we do it with our earthly fathers. And here's the second response. I think it means for us to have a childlike security and peace in his pity and his provision and care for us. I can remember a few times when there were storms in in Terry or Eric. And even when we had Josh living with us, wanted to sit on grandma's lap or wanted to go sit on grandpa's lap because they were scared. And there was a certain comfort in their earthly mother or their earthly grandparents or their earthly aunt and uncle. See, this clear teaching of a verse like this is that the majestic fatherhood of God, way beyond anything here on earth, implies a sacred duty. Sacred duty. That children should honor him and respect him and pay to him reverential esteem. So today, I want to draw to your attention just three uh, ways that Malachi uh, I'm going to start by saying how he, he's helping me and some of you might think well gosh pastor you've been at this for so long you haven't figured this out yet and the answer is no uh, my grandpa didn't tell me many times it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beaten and it took me a while to figure out who the dumb horse was he was talking about I looked in the mirror one day and went yeah <laughs> that's the one and um, But he's going to show us three ways to help understand the majesty of our Heavenly Father in this little passage. And he begins in verse 6. And in verse 6, he shows us that God is our Father. And then what he does is he spends the rest of our text today showing the utter inconsistency between having God as a Father and treating him the way that the priests, the paid pastors, were treating him back in the book of Malachi. But I want you to notice the inconsistency here that Malachi points out is not that they should show more gratitude as father who cares for them. That's certainly true. We ought to be show a lot of gratitude. But I think Malachi's point is how they should do it. How should we show our gratitude? How can we honor our majestic father uh, who's majestic in authority and self-sufficiency, universality, And so we're going to look at three things. And here's the first thing. I think we do this by honoring him, by calling him the Lord of hosts. Did you catch that word as we read those scriptures? The Lord of hosts. In fact, we changed our opening prayer today. I got to think, we're going to put that. So I sent Anthony an email yesterday. Can you change this? Well, God bless Anthony. He's good at that kind of stuff. See, we honor him by calling him Lord of hosts. When's the last time you ever started a prayer with Lord of hosts? I'm going to confess, if I've done it, I don't remember it. But then again, I'm old, I may have done it. See, Malachi helps us feel the majesty of our Father. We could have sang that song today, Mary. Majesty. Maybe we sing that next week. I don't know, but we haven't sung that one in a long time. Majesty. See, using this name again in the end, eight times in those nine verses that Lair read, eight times, 24 times altogether in the book of Malachi, God is called the Lord of hosts. I mean, he's the commander of the angel armies, folks. verse 6, I'll give you an example. And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, will he be pleased with you or show favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 11, my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, what weariness this is, you say and you snip at it, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13, shall I accept that from your hand? says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. Now you got to step back. I mean, I'm smart enough to realize if God says something more than once, you better start looking into that. I mean, what on earth does it mean, Lord of hosts? Well, in some respect, even in the Hebrew, it was a name that, that nobody ever said out loud, out of great reverence for God. But here he's, he's using it. He's getting ready for something in the New Testament here. Now, hosts, when you hear that word, means a great number of armies. So he's the Lord of a great number of armies or sometimes it's a great number of angels or the angel armies or it could even mean the stars, the Lord of the heavenly host. But I think what Malachi here wants us to see and feel is that our father has infinite authority over the entire universe. And I bet in the last two months, some of you have wondered who the heck is in charge of this mess. And you immediately labeled it on politicians or a spouse, or Jeff. I don't. We all get, we all got fingers we can point some way to blame stuff on. Yeah, what Malachi wants us to see and feel is he just God's that ultimate authority. God can call all the armies in this world, believe it or not. And I'm not talking just about our army. He, he can call all the armies in this world to accomplish His purposes among the nations. And some of you are wondering, well, why doesn't He do that? Maybe he has. Maybe he is. You know, he, he'd do that whether they would know it or not. Uh, he has myriads of unstoppable angels. I mean, just think about that. Uh, that Who do his bidding and never fail in any of the errands. Now, we've we got a few angels mentioned in the Bible, but God's using angels all the time. And he's appointed every star in the universe its position. Now, I don't know how many there are. I, I just wrote down in my notes a gazillion trillion. I mean, it's far more than a gazillion, quadrillion billion stars. And guess what? No matter how many stars there are, what is, what, what Scripture say? He knows everyone's name. I struggle to figure out the 20 to 25 people sometimes who come here. And God knows every star's name. Everybody who's ever lived on this, who's ever going to live. I mean, that's pretty powerful. And yet at the same time, on the altar of this father, the priests were offering animals with mange and broken legs. Here's the second thing we learn. We honor him by showing that God needs no sacrifices. Especially not a bunch of mangy broken sacrifices. Look at verse 10 again. Oh, that there were not one among you who would shut the doors. He's talking to a pastor's right now. You guys ought to have enough sense that if you're not doing it right, just shut the doors. Lock the doors. Don't let anybody back into this place if you're not going to do it right. Fortunately, we're going to take a look at how to do it right next week. Hopefully, we've been doing it right. He said, I just wish you'd shut the doors so that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I mean, don't go and just come and go through the motions with no emotions. In other words, he was telling these priests, close the temple. I don't want the smell of your indifferent or polluted sacrifices. I don't even need the food for your sacrifices. Psalm 50, David, I love how David put this. Psalm 50 verses 9 to 12, he said, I will accept no bull from your house, nor a he-goat from your folds. For every beast of the forest is whose? Mine, he says. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the air, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, the Lord says, I wouldn't tell you. Because the world is mine and everything's in it. Now, if you get out of the Old Testament, let's move into the New Testament. It says the same thing. Paul, when he's speaking to a crowd of people in the book of Acts chapter 17, he says, He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything, for he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. Now, we probably ask the question, well, if he doesn't need anything, what are we supposed to give him? Well, come next week. We'll talk about that. Let me just give you is a, a, a very minor example. We've had some pretty rough storms lately rolling through. You know, trees tipped over, branches down, all kinds of stuff like that. we got low land flooding and all of that kind of stuff, heavy rain, all that. But, you know, it dawned on me the other day, and I don't know why I was thinking about this, but our majestic father owns every square foot of Taney County. If you don't live in Taney County, if you live in Stone County, toss that in as well. He has creator rights to every lake in this county. He has creator rights to every stream that flows into those lakes, whether they be Taney, Como, or or, or whatever. Beyond that, we sing a song sometime, which I suddenly realized the other day, we should re-edit this sucker. We sing... um, from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made. How does it end? I think we should change that. This land was made for God, and for the glory of His name. I'm not sure I can get that changed, but I think I'm going to just start singing that, no matter if I'm stuck in the crowd someplace at some show in Branson, and if they turn around I go. I'm going to flash of a card that says, Restore. <laughs> and yet, what was happening? On the altar of this majestic father, the priests were offering animals with mange and broken legs. Here's the third thing he wants to teach us. I think Malachi helps us feel the majesty of our father by showing us that someday his authority and ownership will be honored among every people, every race, in every place, verse eleven says that it says, "From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be." I'm gonna you can underline that for a moment. Will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name is great among the nations," says the Lord of Hosts. I'm going I'm, I'm stretching on this a little bit, but I, I I believe that's one of the most amazing and exciting promises in the Old Testament that's pretty cool stuff now some translations I, I read a lot of translations of that verse in the last couple of weeks uh, use present tense verses here but in the Hebrew there aren't any verbs in that sentence uh, except for one participle and the participle is the is where it says will be it will be and that means it could either be present or future and so this Prophecy is kind of used in the future tense that since God's name is not yet great in all of the nations, it will be someday. And sometimes I want to say, whether you like it or not. I mean, Malachi is just saying to all of the paid pastors, and he's saying to all of the priests in the Old Testament, the name of your Father, which you dishonor by having six sheep and mangy goats, uh, that Name is one day going to be reverenced and held in the highest esteem in every nation of the world and in every place on the earth. Now, some of you might think, isn't that Philippians 2, 8, 9, and 10? Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I've heard that preached on before and the pastor said, and there are going to be a lot of people that ain't going to be very happy that day. <laughs> But it will be preached in every nation. So what can we say about this passage today? i will to give you a couple of applications. Um, the first one, when I wrote it, I realized I was writing it to fathers. And not everybody is a father, in a manner of speaking. Some of you may be uncles, some of you may be cousins. Uh, but I want you to understand that as I wrote this, I was kind of writing for myself, in a manner of speaking. But those of you who are fathers, um, maybe this, this will mean a little bit more, but I think it, it really speaks to all of us. Uh, but what I wrote was, as a human father, uh, namely, we sh- what should we be doing? We should be representing alongside our wives a standard of truth and righteousness and authority and trustworthiness and tenderness and... You know, that will demand and win for our children both reverent esteem and tender affection. In other words, we need to be like our Heavenly Father. And if we're married, then we have children to do it in conjunction. We've been very fortunate, Nancy and I. We realize not every family is that way. But every family can be that way. We were lucky enough to have two pretty good kids. And we've got a pretty good grandson. We've got a pretty good daughter-in-law. For better or worse, they've learned from us. <laughs> a few things they probably shouldn't have. But then on the other hand, uh, they've learned some pretty good things about how, by being good people in this world. I think that's one application, is how we teach the next generation to honor a majestic God. Because our God is not so majestic in our world today. He's demeaned and diminished. We need to find ways to exalt the majesty of God. I think there's another application here, and that's in our relationship to God, we should always kind of mingle together our feelings of reverence and fear and awe on the one hand with feelings of security and tenderness and friendship on the other hand. It's kind of a balancing act. I mean, God is awesome and mighty, but this is a God who also loves us and has compassion on us. See, one of the most remarkable things I've been discovering going through Malachi is that these two, two these two dimensions of our relationship with God are not only kept together in Scripture, but the proper experience of the one is made dependent on the other. How we relate to God helps us understand how we relate to others. I weep sometimes when I see how some people who call themselves Christ followers, and I, I, I don't want to I hate pointing fingers, I'm not going to point fingers at anybody in particular, but who claim to be Christ's followers live such unchrist like lives. And that bothers me. And I continue to pray, Lord, don't let me be that way. And wherever I have an opportunity to speak the truth of Christ into that situation. Not a badgering thing. How many times have some of you ever heard me? We're not called to be condemners. We are called to be gospelers to bring Jesus into the situation. David, in Psalm 25, verse 14, says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Now, somebody might say, well, doesn't friendship cast out fear? Uh, the answer is, yeah. It casts out cowering fear, paralyzing fear, or hate engendering fear, guilt but it does not cast out reverential fear. I fear and trust in the Lord. See, the friendship of the Lord is for people who fear him, respect him, honor him. Another example would be Isaiah 66.2. This is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. I don't know that I did any trembling in the last couple weeks. But I have thought any number of times since last Monday or Tuesday when I sent you the outline. Forget all that, because I'm going to start a series on another book of the Bible, because this is killing me. And I don't know why it is, why it's been that way, but I guess it's been good for me. It's good for me to do this. I don't need to have you feel sorry for me. I'm not not trying to have you feel sorry for me. Because any time God's word speaks to you and humbles you or redirects you or knocks you off kilter uh, is not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal. Um, Isaiah this is the man to whom I speak he that is humble and contrite and trembles so do we want the face of the Lord to shine on us do you want him to lift up his countenance upon us and smile with warmth and tenderness the Lord says this is the person on whom I will smile the one who trembles at my word one last scripture maybe maybe I might have another one fall into place somewhere along the line uh, Psalm um 103, verse 13. As the father pities or has compassion on his children, so the Lord pities or has compassion on those who fear him. Now, I love the Greek for compassion because it's means to feel it in your guts. I mean, this is a a passionate feeling that God has for us. Now, the question is, uh, who will discover and know the compassion of God? Who's going to rest in his mercy? Well, I think one answer is those who bow with reverential fear and honor their majestic father. You're going to discover his compassion. I don't think there's any contradiction in that. uh, Unless it's to be the contradiction of our own hearts that continue to rebel from time to time against our heavenly father. Uh, But I just pray that whatever rebellion you have against the father, that majestic father, be overcome. Uh, because surely the experience that God holds out to us this morning is kind of the, the, one of the deepest, most satisfying relationships in this world. Uh, my prayer also is that we're not afraid to talk about it. I've been told to shut up more than once in my life. Um, I have a feeling I've get told to be quiet again. Sooner or later. yeah. Anytime you ever bring up Jesus sometimes, and people are like, oh, come on, not that again. Or, or uh, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it, Nancy. It's like walking into the back door of the Hollister Coffee Company. I, there, there are a few people I think would actually move away from me uh, for fear that ultimately he's going to bring Jesus into the conversation. Uh, maybe that happens to you. Uh, but I, I think says, if you have a deep, satisfying relationship with the Lord, you're going to tend to have less of a deep, satisfying relationship with the world. I think we can all get way too enmeshed in what's going on in this world to the point that we forget who our majestic God really is. My prayer, again, I say for myself and for all of us, is that we discover in the power of the Spirit that the the mystery of godliness what that actually means in today's society to be godly Uh, to experience a a bold brokenness to understand that we are just a bunch of broken people we're not you know until the day you die and stand in front of Jesus you're not going to be perfect you're going to be broken in every way possible I think there's even a reverential relaxation how about that term You know, to be in the presence of the Lord of hosts, but to be totally relaxed because you know he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants you to be that way. I don't think there's going to be any uh, flippancy or careless or anything like that, just that we discover the mystery of godliness, um, kind of an affectionate awe. And quite honestly, that's all I got to say about this scripture today. Let's pray. Almighty and Heavenly Father, how the world needs Christ followers, like you talk about here in Malachi. Uh, The children of this world need parents or other Christ followers in their life like this as well. I pray also that uh, not just this church, but all churches who claim the name of Jesus would uh, experience the fullness of your majesty. And you just make us people like this. For truly you are the Lord of hosts. You are the owner of all things. You are a great king for all nations. And we just give you honor and praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.